President Trump is trashing Dr. Anthony Fauci today. U.S. trends are deeply troubling. On Friday, a new record with more than 79,000 cases in one day. Boys, stand back and stand by. That was a hot mess oh, yeah. inside a dumpster fire, yep. inside a train wreck. Yeah, that was from the first debate, but I'd say that's the byline for 2020 in general. But oh yes, we are back. Hey, I got a question for you. Are you ready for election day and the ensuing chaos hereafter? <laughs> Things are getting more interesting than date night at Jerry Falwell Jr.'s house. <laughs> if you're an undecided voter at this point, I'd say that you are the problem with America right now. Listen, this isn't a cheesecake factory, man. You make up your mind. Stand back and stand by. Heaven help us is back and better than ever. Let's go. <clears throat> is this thing on? Just checking. Mike, check one, two. We on? Okay, good. Um, welcome to Heaven Help Us, the irreverent podcast at the intersection of faith, pop culture, and politics. I'm your host, one of your hosts, Vince. And um, I don't really have an excuse of why we've been gone so long. Well, I do. See, see what had happened was uh, we have been recording, but it turns out that we've been on mute this whole time, like every other Zoom conversation. <laughs> we were on mute. Just kidding. We've been away for a little bit. Uh, super busy uh, with life and everything in between. And I hope you've been staying busy. I hope you've been staying healthy. I'm glad you have lent us your ears because we have a lot to discuss today. I'd, uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching the news, but guess what? We have an election coming up, if you haven't heard. Um, no, it's everything that everyone is talking about right now. Only one week to go, folks. The presidential election people on the left are talking people on the right are talking people around the zoom water cooler are talking everyone is talking about the election talk talk talkity talk 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 everyone's got an opinion everyone's got something to say talking heads on cnn and msnbc and satan's channel sorry god's channel uh fox news um, everyone's talking, <laughs> uh, but one thing I do know for sure, especially right now when everyone is still talking about social justice and all these things and preachers and pastors are acting like this is in vogue now, there's lots of talk happening right now. But if I have learned anything in my 40 years of life, it's that Talk is cheaper than a used Ikea coffee table. And actions actually do speak louder than words. Um, but I, I do encourage all of the conversations. Uh, I encourage all the dialogue. Uh, we have, at the time of this recording, only one week until the election. 
the quote most important election of our lifetime 2016 was the most important by the way for the record uh but now this one is the most important um and a, a lot of people are suffering a suffering that has been plunged to the forefront of the national gaze because of the pandemic so the time for talk is encouraged but the time for talk in my mind is over it's time for action action that creates change real change so so that's what we're going to talk about today we're talking about action what kind of actions can we take right now i'm talking about action boss what 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 are the actions that we can take right now it's put up or shut up time for us in the kingdom how far are we willing to go to fix it that's what i want to talk to you today and today i'm gonna do a, a, an unusual maneuver it's gonna feel like i'm preaching a sermon though i'm not i'm gonna turn to the scriptures and follow the text and dissect and talk about the things that jesus talked about and point to his obvious solutions that we have ignored for generations now this summer there was a movement started a movement for social justice and racial reconciliation naturally with every movement there is opposition to it um there is no opposition here where there should be no well there 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 should be no opposition but the opposition seems to be coming from not just the right but the religious right well what do you know jesus saw that coming and he had answers for it just like always the trick is whether or not we can be hearers and doers of the word in this regard. So Jesus approaches this subject many, 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 many times. And one of those is the parable of the good Samaritan. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Am I, am I boring you? Are you bored now because you've heard that a hundred times? I know. Me too. Go figure. But this time, I hope you can listen with new ears and a new mentality because I will attempt to break it down in a way that's relevant to the particular time that we are going through right now. We're going to be reading from the book of Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. And it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Hmm. He said, how do you read it, right? Meaning, how do you interpret it to benefit you? Because Jesus, again, saw this coming so jesus said how do you read it to make it most convenient for you see we americans are so good at that aren't we see jesus 
has was already laying the groundwork because he already knows what is happening. So going on, the man said, the man answered, you must love your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So see, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, well, uh, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? <laughs> I'll ask it like an accent. Most of you understand who, well, who's my neighbor? Okay, stop. Who's my neighbor is what he asked, right? What a question to be asking Jesus right now. But this is a limited seeking question because the purpose of his question wasn't who is my neighbor, but rather who isn't my neighbor? Who is beyond my moral obligation? Oh, well, what can I get away with, Lord, and still make you happy? In other words, in asking, uh, who should I love? He was really asking, Lord, who shouldn't I love? He was trying to justify what he already believed in his heart instead of learning from Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Jesus had a clap back. I can imagine Jesus gave him the side eye while he was talking to a crowd. I can imagine Jesus with his steely blue eyes just staring intently at that guy's face. <laughs> just kidding. He was Middle Eastern. He had green eyes. Come on. Uh, anyway, Jesus replied with a story. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him, took his Jordans, and beat his ass and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest, I mean a pastor, came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road. He crossed over to the other side of the road, crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. And then a Levite walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed over to the other side of the road, cold-blooded, and then passed him by. See the priest? This is pastors and church leaders, priests. See the Levite who cross over? Those are church members. Not just any church members, like really, really, really committed church members. The ones who never miss a Sunday. The ones who go to all the extracurricular activities, prayer night, they go to all the small groups. They do all of the things. They're intercessors. These are the ones who are the most committed to the church. And they too crossed over to the other side of the road while this man was laying there beaten and in need of immediate help. Not only did they see him, 
But when they saw him, they crossed over to the other side of the road, which means they looked at him, judged him, and then showed bias towards him and said, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go over here and pretend like I didn't see it. Their verdict in judging this man was that he was not worthy of their help. I can imagine those church people who saw him laying on the side of the road gave him reasons like they gave reasons in their own mind like, well, what did he do to get there? He must have deserved it. He should have paid attention in school. He should have gotten education. He should have went to college. He should have made better decisions. That's easy to do. Easy to think when you go to the other side of the road. The side where they didn't have to see it or pay attention to it. The side where they could ignore the problem and yet still look that way towards that man from a distance and assess how they think he got there in the first place. See, from the other side of the road, you can do a lot of things. From the other side of the road, you can ignore the problem. From the other side of the road, you can blame the victim rather than fix the problem. The problem was right in front of them. It was right in front of the church. And rather than confront it head on, seeing a man in need, seeing a group in need, they all, all, pastors, church members, all went, decided to go around it. And then, the Bible says, a despised Samaritan, the broken, the downcast, the marginalized Samaritan, came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then the Samaritan put the man in his 2002 Nissan Altima and took him to a Holiday Inn. Where he took care of him. And then the next day, he handed the innkeeper some cash money, telling him, Hey, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I'll pay for it next time I come around. So let's talk about the Samaritan. He rolled up on this man and didn't think about what got the man there. He had compassion on him right then and there. He didn't worry about that. He didn't worry about the man's past. He saw the man as he was in need right in front of him and that he could probably relate in some ways to his problems because he was a Samaritan after all. But he decided to help him. See, the Samaritan then put up cash money to help the man, meaning it cost him something. Not only did it cost him something, but he went above and beyond 
to pay for him to get better. It cost him something, and not only did it cost him something, the Samaritan was willing to pay extra, meaning he was willing to go the extra mile. He was willing to go the distance to right the wrong that happened to him, even though he had nothing to do with it. He didn't even cause the problem. He wasn't there to cause the problem. He didn't create Jim Crow or slavery or redlining or systemic oppression. He wasn't there for it. He wasn't, he didn't create bias in policing or even the coronavirus. But he saw it. But he was willing to go the distance to fix it. That's the heart of God. He didn't ignore the problem is what I'm saying. He didn't cross the street and pretend like the problem didn't exist. He didn't come up with excuses like, look at so-and-so, they made it. Look at all these black millionaires, they made it. Of course there's no problem. My problem with anybody who thinks like that is that we love to exalt people who make it so that we can have a feel-good story in our minds about the progress we've made. But we're never willing to look at the bottom and lift it to help the majority of people who are still there. So going back to the story, he didn't ignore the problem. He didn't cross the street and pretend like the problem didn't exist. He didn't do what the church did. He didn't do what the church has done. So what did Jesus say about that? He said, hey, instead of being like the church, be like that guy. <laughs> Jesus said, other than loving God with all of your heart, soul, and strength and mind, that your next priority is to be like the good Samaritan. Hey, church people, guess what? Our pride has gotten in the way of being like the Samaritan. Our comfort has gotten in the way of being like the Samaritan because we can sit up in our church week after week after week and give our money to make ourselves feel better or in hopes that we receive a blessing of some kind after we help some family in Honduras, which is good but it never actually cost us our time and our effort on a personal level. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time we did that as a nation? Jesus is asking us to get personal and address these things on a personal level. The fact is that we as a church have been ignoring the problem that is right in front of us for 400 years. Systemic racism and oppression has been right in front of us for 400 years. 
Have you ever asked yourself as a white church-going citizen? Why are there even black neighborhoods to begin with? Why are all the black people working as janitors and fast food workers? Why are all the black people being disproportionately affected by COVID-19? Why are all the black people being targeted by police? Have you ever asked yourself that? Church, this is what I want to say to you. This is our moment. Marches, protests, people speaking out on social media, panel discussions at church and special services happening all around the country are very, very good. I'm happy they're happening now. But the truth is that those things lay the groundwork, but they don't cost you anything. A conversation doesn't cost you anything. You just get to feel good about it and go about your business and go about your day and forget that any of this is happening. To get this right, this is going to cost us something as a church. It is going to cost us our comfort. It is going to cost us our influence, our convenience, and it is most definitely going to cost us money, lots and lots of money. Because if that wasn't true, Jesus wouldn't have said it. He wouldn't have made a, gone out of his way to make it a point. But Jesus did. Don't look at me. I, I didn't say it. Jesus did. The question is, how far are we willing to go as a nation? And as a national church to deal with systemic racism? Which is an ugly, no, it's the ugly nasty, sinful legacy of our nation. A sin problem right in front of us, but we have crossed to the other side of the street to ignore it. So guys, let's not pull a Candace Owens. <laughs> Church, let's, let's also not stare directly at a problem and then come up with reasons not to be the solution. Candace Owens is the lawyer questioning, well, who is my neighbor? Huh? How about that? Candace Owens, who incidentally might have Asperger's, just saying, she wants to apply conditions and worthiness to whether or not someone is deserving of her help. Don't be Candace Owens. And now it's time to be truthful and blunt as if I have not been doing that already. It's going to cost some of you the election this fall. I know, I know, sad. I'm not telling you not to vote, to be clear. But the last four years have been very, very rough for a lot of people in this country and if anything, these last four years have amplified, amplified racial disparities in a way that we haven't witnessed 
in a lifetime for most of us. They are real. They are real and they are blaring. You know, I, ironically, in some ways, I thank God for this because who knows, you know, you know, maybe systemic oppression wouldn't be top of mind for many people if we didn't have 2016 to date. <laughs> so for Christians, it may cost us, it may cost us the election. So when we go vote this year, think of the book of Proverbs, which mounts to this. I, I read it somewhere. The the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to benefit a community. The wicked disadvantage the community to benefit themselves. Go read the Good Samaritan story that we just talked about. Read Matthew 25 and then pray about it and then go vote. We should vote to benefit everyone else at the expense of our own agendas. In your agenda, your, your mindset should be God over a party. That's what I'm saying. As for the president, I'm not going to waste time or energy to convince you that Donald Trump is a racist because I don't necessarily think that. I don't necessarily believe that to be so. I do think he's a meist, meaning he will do anything to be on top. Absolutely anything. <laughs> I mean, he, he would drive a truck full of burning crosses into the Martin Luther King Memorial if it meant support. <laughs> it's the law of averages, right? It's the law of averages. If Trump unapologetically and boldly appealed more to black people instead of the racist base, if he, if he said, stand back and stand by, black lives matter, most of his white base would abandon him. More black people would come to him, but more white people would abandon him, therefore making his chances of winning far less. Especially in places where the dumb electoral college bend to his favor. But if Trump tweets about someone chanting white power and says that you know, people were very good on both sides of a white power rally, then his white supporters can just issue plausible deniability. And they can say, you know, I'm sure there's a perfectly good explanation for that. Is there? <laughs> but the fact is that they'll continue. They would continue to support him. The only offset as I see it is we the church and I say we the church because you know I grew up in Bible Bell East Texas I'm, I technically qualify as a white evangelical let's just be clear about that I know my people that's what I'm saying <laughs> and so back to my original point about the election uh, you, you've um You've heard the cliche a million times at this point, right? That this is the most important election of our lifetime. That's my Karen, insufferable Karen voice. Most important election of our lifetime. 
it, but it occurs to me that this may not be the case for you. But if you go and ask any person of color, given what's happened this year, go ask any person of color if they feel that way. And I guarantee that more times than not, the resounding answer is yes. If they're, if they're being completely honest with themselves and you ask them that question, they're going to say yes. Because for people of color, they feel like their very lives are on the line. And as a consequence, their very lives are on the ballot. And this is not tongue in cheek. This is really how people feel. You know, people are charged up because it's an election year, but this is actually how people feel. So, so what are we going to do about it? What are we individually and collectively as the body of Christ? What are we going to do about it? About it? So back to the, to the story of the fella, the Candace Owens, <laughs> The fella uh, uh, trying to come for Jesus at the beginning of the story who wanted to know, you know, who his neighbor wasn't by asking who his neighbor was. Because to love thy neighbor, you need to know who, who thy neighbor is. And for my appeal to you today, I would say, it's black folks who have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic, not only by the pandemic, but by systemic oppression and systemic racism in this country for years, for generations. Those are your neighbor. That's your neighbor. What are you going to do about it? For DACA recipients who were brought to this country through no fault of their own, and, and they just want to live. They just want to live here. They just want a just path to citizenship. Those are that that's your neighbor. What are you going to do about it? Behind the over 200,000 and counting COVID deaths, behind that statistic is a story of a person, of a human with a family who's lost a loved one. They are your neighbors. What are you going to do about it? And yes, yes, police are your neighbors too. And they need your support, especially as we improve, dismantle, and replace inefficient systems. I didn't say the police. I said the systems. What are we going to do about it? Love is a verb. That is another common theme for the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. Love is a verb and requires action. And collectively as a church and individually, we need to take steps of love at our own expense. At our own expense, it's going to cost us something. 
That's the kind of love that Jesus was speaking of in the story. It's going to cost us something. So let's do something about it. Let's lay it all out, y'all. So I, I hope I persuaded you even a little to at least think about it. If you're a Trump supporter, if you're a closet Trump supporter, if you're out here yelling black lives matter, but you're still willing to go in the privacy of your, of the voting booth when no one is looking and write, put that little oval, fill it in for Donald J. Trump. So I have a suggestion for you. Instead of voting for him, write in a name. And I have here a list of names and things that you should write in instead of voting for Donald Trump if you can't vote for a Democrat, okay? How about a bag of crickets? How about Colin Kaepernick's spare jockstrap? Things that I would rather, just anything you would rather vote for. How about uh, George W. Bush's first painting? An iguana dressed as Taylor Swift. Chuckles the Clown. What about Slender Man? Slender Man would make a great president. How about if Brain Freeze was a person? A Venus flytrap. Any Scientologist except for Tom Cruise. Okay, Tom Cruise too. What about just Donald Trump's toupee? Thanos, but only if he waved the right to snap whenever he gets mad. A grown man who still plays Pokemon Go. You can write in Flat Earthers, Gary Busey. Anyone over the age of 40 who has never seen Star Wars, not even once. Candace Owens even, but only if she agrees to change her name to Karen Owens. Any crash test dummy. How about how about how about this? The, you can write in the inflatable wavy arm man you see in front of a used car sales lot. How about you can write in a thumb with googly eyes glued to it, which incidentally looks like Sean Hannity. So maybe not. The point is, is that you can write in anything, anything, anyone at all. Write in John Kasich, write in Marco Rubio, write in anyone else but him. And then support reparations. That's it for heaven help us. I'll see you next time.